Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will speak about God's three great finishes. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's start off and we'll look to the Lord in, in prayer. Lord, we, we get so caught up in ourselves and, and we fail to take time to consider you, the Lord Jesus Christ, how great you are, how wonderful is your care for us, Lord, and, and your love to us. And this morning, Lord, as we come to you, we ask you to forgive us to cleanse us, Lord, from our sins and help us this morning to put away every distraction that would pull us away and to wholeheartedly consider the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, I got a quote for you here. It's an interesting quote. All the answers to all our problems are found between the covers of this single book if we would only read it and believe it. President Ronald Reagan said that. Oh, that was a good quote, though, wasn't it? It's was. a good thing. He said that at the Bel Air uh, Presbyterian Church. Uh, follow along now as we read here. We're going to open in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, okay? And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had ca- not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every good tr- every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the one, of the first, is Pison. The name, uh, that, this is it that compasseth the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is bdellium, and the onyx stone, and the name of the second is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidikel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth is Euphra- river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought him unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to all the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called uh, woman. Because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. All right, now, last week you remember that we, as we looked at at chapter 2 and we saw verse 1, that marked that very important word there where it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. That's a very important first finish for God in the Bible. Very, very important. The creation. What are the other two great finishes in the Bible? Anybody remember? Christ on the cross. From John 19.30, when Jesus, therefore, it said, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. That finished our redemption. This was the finish of the creation, the work of creation. That was the finish of the work of redemption. And the last, the heavens and the new earth. Then he said, Revelation 21, he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said, In verse 6, he said unto me, it is done, or finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So that was the finish of the third great work of God in the Bible, the new creation. Aren't you glad that God is a finisher of what he starts? He has begun a work in every believer that will take a lifetime to finish, but he's going to finish it, because God's a finisher. That's good news. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it or finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we have great confidence and hope that God, as we yield ourselves to him, is going to, is going to continue the work that he has begun to do in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, we saw last week also about the Sabbath, and we learned from Isaiah chapter 58, which is the great two verses, verses 13 and 14, about what the Sabbath is in its essence. So much confusion about the Sabbath, and about which day, and so forth. But we saw that the Sabbath is essentially a decision day. It's a day when when we decide to make a day a special day, a holy day, a special day. We decide it's going to be the best day of the week, day of all the best, emblem of eternal rest, as the hymn says. It's going to be the best day, and that's our decision. And we decide that in that day, instead of our recreation and our pleasure and doing what makes us happy, we're going to take that day and we're going to especially use it to honor God. We're going to honor God by studying about God. We're going to honor God by talking about God, by thinking about God, by praying to God. That's the day. That's Sabbath. That's why we call that day the Lord's Day as opposed to our day. Now, as we've moved in Genesis 2 closer and closer to the creation of man, we saw that God became more and more front stage, more and more involved in the creation, more and more himself forming man out of the dust of the ground, himself planting the garden, as it says there. That's God becoming more and more involved as he moves toward the pinnacle of his creation, the creation of man, because here is going to be this special relationship between God and man. And that's what we're going to study this morning. The creation of man and the special relationship that God had with man. The relationship between God and man. Now, first point, 
we see from uh, Genesis 2 about the special relationship is in verse 7. And what does it say? And the Lord God, three words, God formed man. God made man out of the dust of the ground. God made man. That is a very, very important part of the relationship. It's the basic understanding that we have in our relationship with God or the Lord Jesus Christ. He made us. He made us. You think it's basic? There's a huge attack on that, on whether God made man or not. Oh, turn, get out your 42 fingers. Keep one of them in Genesis 2 and one in John, John 1. Very, very essential point here that a lot springs out of the understanding of this point. John 1, 1, 1, 1 to 3. See, in the beginning was the Word. Now, we know that later on, and when we come to verse 14, that the Word was made flesh. So he's identified as the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the beginning was the Word. When was he? In the beginning. That's all you need to know. The Word was with God, or toward God, or along with God, or echad with God, one with God. The Word was God. No question about it. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. All things were made by the Lord Jesus Christ. It really needs to settle in and embed within our hearts. All things were made by the Lord Jesus Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. You might want to write down, keep in mind, a very important verse. In fact, so important, take one of your 42 fingers and turn to that one. Psalm 100, verse 3. Very important. Because it has... Three parts to this, or let's say four parts to this. First, know. So that means we're supposed to know. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Now, if you take the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and you substitute him, then you would be saying, know that Jesus Christ is God. Know you that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. That's essential. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves, and no one else, and nothing else, no evolution, no other fantasy that made us. It's he, him, that made us. Now, now here's the two consequences of that. So you could almost put in this verse a therefore. We are his people. We are his people. What's the word his mean? ownership. We are owned by him. We are his people. And the fourth point, and we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of his pasture. That's a great honor. That's a great privilege to be owned by God. It's a great privilege and honor to be the sheep of his pasture. Everything changes when we know the truth of this psalm. Verse 3, when we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, that as it says in John 1, that he made us, because then all of a sudden we see things differently. When we go to evangelize lost sinners, we see them differently. When you look at a lost soul, you see, when you believe this verse, you see that soul as God's lost property, as belonging to God. 
That changes your whole game plan when you see this sinful person cursing God. You see him as God made him. God lost him. I'm an evangelist. That means I'm a worker in God's lost and found department. That's what I do. I go find what God lost and bring it back to him. See, that changes everything when you see it that way. Psalm 119, verse 73. It starts with Yod. Yod. That's Hebrew for y'all. Y'all? <laughs> Not really. All right. It says, uh, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. This is David now speaking. He understands this. Thy hands, the hands of God from Genesis 2, have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. On what basis did David ask God for understanding? Because he was his property. Because he was made by God. That's why. That's why the enemy pushes so hard this lame scientific theory, so-called scientific theory of evolution. Why? Because what it does is it breaks the tie to who made us. Who made us? Who has the right to us? He wants us to think, that no one, the devil wants us to think, that no one made us, though we just came about through time and chance and random processes. And so when you get broke, you got nowhere to go because you got no maker. You got nobody to go to to, to fix you. That's, that's, that's the idea behind evolution. But if you know that the Lord Jesus Christ made you, that's a very strong argument. When you're broken with sin, you go to him, the maker. You know that he is that he is that's also a very strong argument to let him have his way in our lives. Let him have his way in our lives. Don't miss those last two verses. Go back to Genesis 2. Very important verses. Look at the uh, verse 8 there. Tell me the last four words of those verse 8. Whom he had formed. Those are very important words. There, there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, what if Adam had said, you know, why should I let God put me here in this garden? I don't think I'll, I don't, I'm not going to yield to that. I'm going to rebel against it, you know. What's the answer? If we, were, if we were counseling Adam, Adam came to us. He made you. <laughs> he made you, Adam. <laughs> Adam said, okay. Now, what if you and I would say, you know, why should I stay in this marriage? You know, or some other place I know God wants me to be. Why should I yield to him? What's the answer? He, he made you. He made you. He put you there. Or maybe you put yourself there, but you're there anyway. Anyway, he made you. So that's the answer. The biggest obstacle for a lost, sinful person to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what that is? It's a refusal to yield to God. I will not have this man reign over me. That's a refusal to yield to God. It's a refusal to submit to him. So chapter 2, we have to look at chapter 2 in the context of chapter 3, because chapter 3, we're going to fall off a cliff. <laughs> but chapter 2, we haven't fallen off the cliff yet. But God knows we're going to fall off the cliff in chapter 3. So that's why he's got everything in chapter 2 that he's got. And what he's got there in chapter 2, on the threshold of the tragedy of the fall of man, God is already wanting man to come to God to get fixed after he sins and falls away from God. So he's building the arguments in chapter 2, and he's saying, look, 
To get fixed, Adam, later on you're going to need this. To get fixed, don't forget those last four verse words of verse 8. He made he, whom he formed. He made you. He made you. So, keep that in mind. Second thing to keep in mind from chapter 2, and again, standing on the threshold of falling off the cliff, chapter 3, not only that he made you, but keep in mind who is God. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is he? Why? Because when you fall off the cliff and, 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 and you need to go for help, you need, you're going to need to know who he is because that's going to give you confidence to go back to him, to get fixed, to get saved, to get repaired, to get restored, all those words. So those are the two things that are important about chapter 2. He made you and who he is. Today, Tom, you spoke again about the importance of embracing the fact that God made us. But we don't hear that message on TV and movies or even in our schools. We hear that nothing formed us, and we hear that we just evolved. Why is it so important to believe that we are formed? Well, it's very important because we find our purpose in life and our direction in life from the fact that we are formed. Jeremiah 1 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. What God is really saying here is that what is the womb? Is that just a place where embryonic tissue just grows according to how it's been programmed? Is that really happening because of millions and billions of years and random processes and, and, and uh, chance, and therefore man is, is, uh, is, being, uh, uh, is, is coming together in the belly? That's not the picture that God paints. What God is painting here is that the womb, that's my sculptor's gallery. That's where I'm working in there to form each individual as an individual. God is, in essence, saying, I don't make copies. I make each one as an original. And that's what he's saying here in Jeremiah 1.5. I formed thee in the belly. He said that I formed thee in the belly. It's important that we embrace this. Why? Because he says, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee. When we embrace that we have been formed by God just the way we are, then we look up to God with the second question that Paul asked God on the road to Emmaus, what wilt thou have me to do? Then it's the, it's the, it's the piece of clay that's been formed by the potter, looking up to the potter and saying, how can I serve you? You are my former you are my maker, makes all the difference in the world. And not only that, it gives us purpose, direction, and life because we've been formed by God. But Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3 says, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, call, upon t- call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Why is it important to embrace the fact that we are formed? Because it gives us the encouragement and the basis for us to pray to God. We're not just praying to anyone. 
we pray to God, we're praying to God, our maker. We're praying to God, the one who formed us. And he loved us. And he died for us. So he created us. And then he regenerated us with his own blood. He washed us. And therefore, we call unto him. So it's very important that we embrace that we have been formed by God. Tom, today you mentioned the Sabbath, too. I have found that this is a hot topic with some on which day of the week we should meet and worship the Lord. Now, some say it's got to be on Saturday, and others say that Sunday is just as good as Saturday. What does the Bible have to say about the importance of days? Well, that's really the best question is what does the Bible have to say? Because everybody has very strong opinions on this day and that day and, oh, it has to be on this day. But what does God say? You know, we get uh, some direction from this in Numbers chapter 9, verses 7 through 11, where there were some people who came, some men specifically who came to Moses, and they said to Moses, we are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back that we may not offer an offering in the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? So the picture is that these men wanted to keep the Passover, which, of course, was on the 14th day of the first month of the year, but they couldn't because they were defiled. So really, Moses didn't know. And I mean, what would the, you know, he went, had to go to God and say, God, I and mean, God would say, oh, my, no, they missed it. Oh, it's so terrible. They missed the time of the month. Oh, it's all lost. Oh. And so what Moses said in verse 8, said unto them, stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And then in verse 9, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you, your posterity, shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, that yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord, the fourteenth day of the second month, and even they shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Second month? Oh, no! How could it be the second month? It has to be the first month. We've just heard that. We've instituted. We've told everybody. But God says, don't worry about it. The time is not important. It's not important. First month, second month, doesn't matter. What matters is that you do it. If you do it, you know, the Sabbath has principles behind it. What are the principles? They're found in Isaiah 58, verses 13 to 14. He explains to us what's supposed to happen on the Sabbath. If you turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable. Honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. What is God saying? God is saying, it doesn't matter. You want to keep a day unto me on Saturday, on Sunday. What matters is call it a delight to the Lord. Speak about him, not your own thing, but God's things, the things of God. Delight yourself in God. And as you delight yourself in the Lord, then you're going to find that this is a great day. Oh, but what if it's on Sunday instead of Saturday? It doesn't matter. What God is looking for is the heart. He's looking for the, 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 the day, whatever day it happens to be, that it's a day in which you find yourself delighting yourself in God. You're so happy 
to be a child of God. You're so enjoying being in his word, speaking to others about his word. His word becomes the subject and the delight of your conversation. You're speaking about how great God is, how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. You're honoring him. You're you're calling the Sabbath a delight, the best day of the week. That can be on Saturday. That can be on Sunday. God doesn't care. But it matters so much, whatever day it is, what you do on that day. That's not a day for our own recreation. That's not a day for doing what it says in Isaiah 58, doing our own pleasure. That's not a day of speaking our own words. That's the day. You can do that day alone on Saturday. That's what I do when I prepare for my Sunday school lesson. That's a delight for me to be alone, to consume myself in the Word of God, to be thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great day for me. It happens to be on Saturday. It's a wonderful thing to have that day. But whatever day it is, make sure it's the Lord's day. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as we continue from this message. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent to them? Call us today directly by phone and we can help you to do that at 1-800-247-3051. Help reach God's lost chosen nation of people by calling 1-800-247-3051. And we can help you fulfill the commandment to go to the lost Jewish people first. Many of us know Jewish lawyers, doctors, businessmen, friends. Reach them with the gospel today. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Today's message is available at friendshipwithgod.org for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Join us again tomorrow at the same time.